A pleasant sleep is interrupted by an unsettling messenger, but leads to a delicious meal. Then the fellas get some fake real-world experience. We listened to episode 3 of Taz Graduation, so you know what that means. It's time for talking Taz. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Talkin' Taz with Lauren and PJ, our weekly deep dive into the world of Taz graduation. With you, as always, is me, your host, PJ, and with me, as always, is my lovely co-host, Lauren. Hi, hi. Let's get into it. What did you think of this week's episode? So I took a lot of notes on this episode because so much happens. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even though, yeah, there's like so much that goes down. For all three of the boys, there's stuff that happens that we learn more about the mechanics in the school and how those work. So I had a really good time deep diving into both of those. Yeah, even though I would call this like a quote unquote mini game episode, because that's really all it was. It was pretty meaty. Like I was halfway into writing notes and I was like, how am I already this many pages in? Yeah, I wrote a surprising amount of notes. So let's jump into it. We start off with a beautiful little scene of our three main characters fast asleep in their dorm. It seems Fitzroy has figured out the bunk bed situation because it is no longer the terrible double bed, but it is in fact in actual functional tiers. We know this because on the lower tier, Fitzroy's new crab familiar is cuddled up with a spectral castle cat. Which is so cute. So cute. I'm so here for it. Okay, I know you ship Fitz and Rainier. I might ship the crab and the cat. The crab and the cat. That's the name of my fantasy store. (laughs) Not fantasy Joanne's? Not Fantasy Joanne's. Could it be run by the crab and the cat? It can be run by the crab and the cat. Okay. All of our characters are dreaming, and Travis asks them what their character would be dreaming of. Which I love. I love when DMs do that. When you're like, okay, so you're dreaming, and then you wake up. But also, what were you dreaming about? Mm -hmm. Argo states that he is dreaming about bread, which Travis pushes to (laughs) ask for further details. (laughs) Argo explains that he had a voyage on the sea once, and as the crew went to open their stores of food, Their bread had become infested with mealworms and assumedly mold, but they had to eat it anyways. They did. This is why Argo almost exclusively eats citrus now. This made me hella mad at Travis because I didn't need to hear that. And I was literally eating a sandwich while listening to this part. (laughs) I was like, why did you ask? I was okay with just bread. No, I, okay. Would you have been okay with just bread? Because if I'm dreaming about bread. DM, I wouldn't have been okay with just bread. Or even as a listener. Like, that's... I would have found it funny. What are you listening to? What are you dreaming of? Bread? Got it. Next. Okay, Oprah. I can also relate to Argo eating something disgusting once, then being turned away from it forever. Any food that has ever made me sick goes on my do not eat list for at least five years. I mean, yeah, that's true. And it explains why he went on to citrus, like exclusively citrus so far. Griffin pokes fun at the story by saying that he had bad lima peas once and then ate burgers forever. (laughs) He's like, that's basically the story you just told. (laughs) (laughs) It was a surreal discussion with his food. Fitzroy sleeps a little differently. As we know, he half transits, which means he is sleeping with his eyes open. But he actually has a very interesting mechanic for his dreams because of that. Yeah. Where he is seeing everything that he is seeing with his eyes open, but with dream-like things happening around it. Yeah, I was super into it. Uh, This is pretty much how waking lucid dreaming works. Do you know about waking lucid dreaming? Like a little bit. So it's basically waking lucid dreaming is a way where you trick your brain into thinking that you're still asleep. So it's still producing that like dream chemical in your mind and you start seeing hallucinations in your waking world for however long you can control it, just like lucid dreams. 
Oh. I don't I would never want to do it. No. I would have I would see terrifying things. I I would not want to know what my brain could come up with with in the scope of my reality. Well, luckily since it's a lucid dream cuz I mean lucid dreaming is where you can control your dream. Yes. You can make things appear disappear. I've never been able to harness that skill, but I've always wanted it cuz that just sounds so cool. But also like it's kind of like with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> with great lucid dreaming comes, comes great great lucid responsibility. <laughs> exactly. Like good old good old Uncle Stan wrote. Oh. <laughs> the fear bog says he has a recurring dream where he is at the fire with his clan and he and he and her and her and he are all gathered around before his father rises, points into the woods, and then he wakes up. It's so I love how Justin describes the other fear bogs just by her and her, her and he and he and because that further emphasizes they don't have names they have no need for names well and at the end of the day like you would know who these people are right like mm-hmm. if i was around the same people since i grew up and it's a very small clan like i wouldn't be like i don't know you because i don't know your name yeah yeah i think about going back to work and even though I sometimes need to look at people's name tags to know who they are, I still can tell them apart. Like, I'm like, you are not this person. Yeah, that's true. Thank God for name tags. Thank God for name tags. They awaken to a faint knock at the door, to which Fitzroy attempts to send Snippers, who we find out right in this moment that his name is Snippers. Yes! To attack! Snippers attack! Uh, whoever is knocking. Which, I love that moment. I love that instantly. Even though he tried to leave Snippers behind. He's already so in love with him. And he's having him run errands. <laughs> That's such a Fitzroy thing. Snippers responds by moving to the door and knocking back in rhythm with whoever is outside before it becomes a bit of a knocking game where they <laughs> knock back and forth to each other. <laughs> we get some back and forth about Snippers attempting to confuse whoever is outside and Argo joking it might be another crab. It's all good fun. Yeah, it was a really good time. It was On the typical other... McElroy. Typical McElroy. Yeah. On the other side of the door is a squirrel skeleton holding a note addressed to Fitzroy, clearly sent from Rainier. Yes. Fitz has Snippers retrieve the note, and the squirrel gestures as if asking for a tip, to which the fear bull gives it one berry, which it accepts and takes off. Fitzroy questions where he'd even put that berry, and Travis explains that it is the principle of the thing. He can just know that it is a symbol that he did a good job. Yeah, Griffin makes a really valid point, though. Like, what's a skeleton going to do with... I agree with Travis's point. Travis always coming in with support for the working class. <laughs> I mean, yes, I'm not saying that they don't... That squirrel, skeleton, whatever, did not deserve a tip. It's just, could you not give it something that might be a little more useful to it? Agree to disagree. Okay. Uh, Fitzroy does let us know that he thinks that that squirrel is a mockery to God's rules and he will never like that squirrel. <laughs> I mean, they don't like this, the skeleton animals. They discuss whether squirrels have bones in their tails, to which the answer is yes. However, Justin points out how much squirrel skeletons suck. <laughs> but I looked it up and I had no problem with squirrel skeletons. Oh, exact opposite reaction. I was instantly like repelled by it. I mean, it's less cute than the cartoonist version, I imagine, but I definitely don't think it's a monstrosity. Oh, I 100% think it's a monstrosity. We are consistently disagreeing in this episode. Podcast over, everyone. Well, it makes for an interesting podcast if we're <laughs> differing Fine, opinions. Fine, we'll keep going. Fine. We established that Snippers not only likes berries, but is happy to receive one from Fitzroy when he gives it to him. Aww. I love that he's already being like, oh, my sweet little Snippers, here's a berry. I love Snippers. The letter from Rainier addresses Fitzroy as Sir, with many I's and R's. So many. Fitzroy Maplecourt. Again, ship it so hard. Love these cute jabs. I still super don't, but I support you in it. 
She also refers to herself as her high lord ladyship Rainier Michelle. Which for me, okay, this is going to be kind of a, a weird connection, but it was kind of like when David Pumpkins got a middle initial. Out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. Rainier Michelle? I mean, but obviously she had a last name. Yeah. But Michelle is an interesting one. I wonder if it's like Michelle, like English, or Michelle, like French. Oh, I didn't think about that. See, I wrote it in my notes like French Michelle. Oh, I definitely wrote it English. Interesting. Huh. I don't know. We'll look it up. Put it in the in the insert. She invites Fitzroy to breakfast, though passively invites Argo and the Fearbog as well. Again, this is a date, y'all. <laughs> Uh, so Fitzroy, I agree. I don't think Fitzroy sees her like that yet because Fitzroy is like, my friend. <laughs> I don't know. I don't see Fitzroy in any sort of romantic relationship yet. Well, see, I see, um, I don't know. I don't maybe see him ever being in a romantic relationship, but I can at least ship them to be partners. Like they don't have to be romantic okay. partners, but I, their dynamic works for me in a very real way. Okay. That makes more sense. But I want them to be married. <laughs> I mean, I still don't, but okay. Fitzroy instructs Snippers to take a memo, which he does with very cute localizations from Travis. Yes. Fitzroy lies in it. and He says that him and his buds were going to go to Fantasy Jamba Juice, <laughs> but he can make time. He can make the time. Um, and as soon as he's done dictating the memo, he realizes that Snippers does not have a pen or paper. He's just been say, over on the side. I mean, I know it was so small, but it was one of my favorite moments. I loved it too. Yeah. They make some small talk and Fitzroy expresses his disappointment in only being able to do magic by dis or reappearing snippers, which the Fearbulg finds impressive. Yeah. The Fearbulg says he will learn this magic, which immediately makes Fitz act like it's the most difficult and cool magic around. Was like, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, I mean, I don't know what you were imagining. I was imagining the most dramatic hand gestures so and dramatic. like all of these big like, karate moves and just, he's so dramatic. The Fearbulg says that he has been made to wear a dunce hat in accounting, which terrifies Travis, who doesn't necessarily want his school to be that kind of school. Yes. But the Fearbulg, I mean, Justin more so, but the Fearbulg corrects and says that he made the dunce hat himself and is making himself wear it. Which is so, so I mean, it, it's on point with his, I am a disgrace to nothing. Uh, I want him to love himself so badly. <laughs> I do too. Argo explains that he lied, manipulated people, and got an A for it, which he feels is odd and doesn't quite understand the school system because of it. They arrive at the dining hall shortly after. Not even shortly. Like, Travis almost cuts off the last syllable of Clint and says, You're at the dining hall now! (laughs) Stop! Uh, And Rainier is sitting at a table, with various woodland skeletons acting as seat fillers for the three boys. They then squirrel themselves away. Apparently, Uh no pun intended, but I agree with Griffin. No way that wasn't intended. Yeah, no, that was definitely intentional in different compartments in her chair. Argo compliments Rainier by calling her a beautiful kelp bed. <laughs> so weird. That's so weird. He says like, well, kelp is a beautiful uh, plant. And Rainier's <laughs> like, you wouldn't call someone a beautiful celery. But I mean, thanks for the compliment. I mean, I'll still take it, but that's still weird. The fear bulk is to the point as usual. And Rainier says that she has had a special dish prepared for Fitzroy. Stuart LeBouf then comes out with a covered dish and hands it to Rainier. Fitz fears it is either a crab or a bone skeleton rat. I mean, it would make sense. If she would had... it? Do you think Rainier is a psychopath? No, I'm just saying that she would be. She seems like a very light practical joker to me. To I where, do agree with Yeah, that. she could have one of her abominations under there. Oh, gosh. I don't think they're abominations. They're cute. I mean, listen, the way I imagine them, they're cute. Looking at a real squirrel skeleton, I'm never going to get that out of my head. 
But it is not a practical joke. It is a sweet crepe, which is such a sweet thing to do. It is. It is loaded with berries and cream. Fitz is very happily surprised. And he asks, how did she know? To which Rainier says, you haven't stopped talking about these sweet crepes for two weeks. Which is where we find out that we've had a two-week time jump here. Yes. Yeah, indeed. (laughs) I mean, I can imagine Fitz were making such a big deal about it every single morning. Just hoping that there's going to be crepes and then there's not. Fitzroy says that this makes up for waking them up with a skeleton monster from hell, but we do find out Fitz doesn't hate all the skeletons. He does like the raccoon because he's a little scoundrel. I I mean, listen, I know it's been two weeks. I want to know what that raccoon's been up to. Be more, a scoundrel. More than the boys. I want to know what the, <laughs> what the raccoon skeleton has been doing. Rainier checks in on how Fitz has been doing as of late. He says he is in the magical crab stage of grief, which he guesses is bargaining, before explaining he can't wait to go back to Clyde Knight's night night school, which confuses Rainier. As she says, they kicked you out and Hieronymus just took you in. I don't know why you'd want to go back. He explains he must complete his training at Clyde Knights in order to fulfill his duty as a knight to the realm of Goodcastle to serve in the Queen's Guard. So he must finish his time here at Wiganpoof's School for Bads and Goods, <laughs> which is so goddamn funny. Is that what we're going to call them now? Bads and Goods. Bads and but Goods. But no, because it's not about the Bads and Goods that we're confused. It's the the different delineations of the bads and the good. I like the bads and goods. We find out here that Goodcastle is most likely a total scam. He received a letter informing him he'd become a knight and had to pay a high processing fee of 200 gold piece. Mm-hmm. And after several more of these filing fees, he received a scroll denoting his knighthood with no map or inclination as to where Goodcastle actually is. I'm, I was so shook by this realization. Oh yeah. It's such a, I love that idea like i would have never thought to build a character that is a knight based on a total scam yeah oh it was genius argo and the fear duck under the table to discuss whether this is a scam or not and whether to tell fitz which causes the fear to upend the table knocking off fitzroy's crepe but it is luckily caught by the squirrel skeleton thank goodness as argo reappears to tell fitzroy more for a sense of smug pride than anything we learn that fitzroy's knighthood is a means to help his extremely sick nephew which is just a joke by Griffin, but I do hope it comes back someday. I I was actually thinking that I was like, how much of this is actually like a how thing? much will they re- how much will they remember this random side joke? And then in like episode forty two, Fitzroy goes to visit his sick nephew, who has either gotten much sicker or has gotten better. I don't know, man. We learned that Clyde Knights isn't necessarily a scam itself. Well, I don't think. Mm. We learn that Clyde Knights isn't a scam. It's just the good castle part that's a scam. Or at least we think it's a scam. Yeah, I'm in the scam camp. Good castle is supposedly a clandestine kingdom with a secret location as to not be crushed by their enemies. Good castle is located somewhere beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Uh, And Fitzroy will learn its true location once he completes his schooling at Clyde Knights. Which I guess in logic would make sense, even though he's quote unquote officially a knight of Goodcastle, he still has to learn what it takes to be a knight. It's all very confusing, and for a moment I actually started to wonder if maybe it wasn't a scam, but then Rainier questions him and reveals that the initial letter from Goodcastle was addressed to whom it may concern. He was, Fitz was very impressed that she knew that. The Fearbulg was also impressed and asked her how she knew before Rainier awkwardly changes the subject to Gary's announcements. <laughs> Gary lets the three boys know that they will spend the first half of the day with Dakota in the test tavern for social graces class. Heck yes. Then we'll spend the second half of the day in the dungeon training with Jimson. 
However, in between the classes, Fitzroy has detention. We learn Fitz has been in detention, assumedly for the incident at the dodgeball game, in Higglemiss's office, and today is the last day of detention. What do you think he's been doing? I honestly don't know. You think they would just put him in detention with Festo or something so oh, for further practice? Festo would make it a party. Yeah, that's true. You can't have people in detention with Festo. No. We also learned, this is a random aside, that the Fearbulk isn't a vegetarian. He will eat small rodentia. Oh, we did learn that. Yeah. But here, he is just eating a plain vegetable. He usually sticks to berries. We move on to the students heading to the test tavern. Here, we see Rhodes is here to act as their hero for the social graces training. There is an unconscious person at the bar, and they begin to wonder if this is the teacher, Dakota. They send Argo in, as he is the most degenerate looking of the bunch. Fitzroy's words. But Argo doesn't disagree. He doesn't. Argo asks if they are okay to no response. Justin announces he will be doing a Dungeons and Dragons move. Stand back, everyone. I'm rolling dice. And rolls an investigation check of three. <laughs> As Argo goes to touch the unconscious body, they pop up and reveal themselves to be Jermaine, no doubt on a break from writing the lore for this arc. Exactly. Dakota reveals themselves and asks, what did they learn? And I, as a listener, was like, what were they supposed to learn? Nothing's happened. What did you learn? Yeah. Do you think that's just like a smug move on a teacher's part? I guess. I'm supposed to be teaching you lessons, but forgot you were coming. Yeah, but the lesson was to never assume anyone in the bar is who they say they are, which isn't really applicable. It's not like they thought the body was someone else. Well, they thought it could have been the teacher. It was Jermaine. Possibly, but they weren't even sure. I guess the more applicable lesson is to never assume someone is actually drunk. Mm -hmm. The lesson lesson. here to drink water instead of beer and pretend to be drunk, assumedly to gather information without garnering suspicion. Hi everyone, it's me, PJ, your fair weather friend and guide through the world of Taz graduation. As always, I want to thank everyone for taking the time this last week to listen to us and spread the word about our little old podcast. We've seen some great growth on our Twitter and Facebook and owe it to all of you listening. Speaking of Twitter and Facebook, you should follow us there. Follow us on Twitter at Talkin' Taz. Follow us on Facebook at Talkin' Taz or search Talkin' Taz Podcast. Or visit our website by going to talkin-taz.pinecast.co for links to our socials as well as all of our episodes. If you're not following us on social media, you're missing out on some quality content, such as the poster for Gar Going Home for the Holidays and the album cover for Mariah Carry Me Onto the Waves' holiday album, Happy Candle Nights. Some notes from this episode... Rainier's last name is the American spelling of Michelle, as in M-I-C-H-E-L-L-E, not the French Michelle, as in M-I-C-H-E-L, as I had assumed. Points to Lauren for getting that right. We hope you'll join us again next Thursday, and every following Thursday, as we continue to listen through graduation. Now back to the podcast. Dakota explains the actual test they will be participating in, as this was more just a fun lesson. A pre-lesson, if you will. The bar will fill with patrons, and they need to retrieve information. One person has a map that leads to a treasure-filled cave. One can sneak you into the castle for a mission, and one is a fence for stolen goods. However, one or more are undercover city watch. Dakota pulls a lever, and illusory NPCs appear in the fantasy holodeck. Which Griffin is very excited about. Yes, and every illusory NPC looks completely identical. They discuss strategy with Rhodes. The Fear Bulg offers the solution of just asking who is the City Watch, and once they answer, they'll win. Yeah, because they'll have to tell them. Argo thinks this is a great idea, thinking that the Fear Bulg will be acting in danger to get the Undercover Watch to reveal themselves, but this was not and will not be the Fear Bulg's plan, as he does not lie and seemingly assumes no one else does either. Not even does not lie. 
I cannot lie. Which we learn a little bit later on. Yeah. Fitzroy's plan is to wear all of his fancy brooches and rings to peacock and draw attention to himself. Which he calls brooches. Brooches. <laughs> Argo stealths around the room to overhear conversation and gather information. He overhears someone say they are a cleaner in the castle that is never noticed. Argo lies and says he visited the castle and noticed how clean it was and that he would like to congratulate him on his work. <laughs> he asks him, what chamber did you visit that you thought was the cleanest? And he says, 7C. <laughs> like the boys even were talking about you could have said literally anything. And he's like, but it's a joke. The 7Cs. And they're like, that doesn't make it better. <laughs> but he rolls pretty high on his deception check and he believes him. Would you have allowed that as a DM? If you did a decent enough deception check, it would have just been a decent DC for just such a bad lie. He doesn't fully succeed on the persuasion check, but he doesn't do bad enough that he completely failed, so he has to just restructure his approach, to which he now further lies and says that he is an inspector for castle cleaning for... Castle Quarterly. Castle Quarterly. Mm-hmm. And that he wants to write a review of his cleaning work, but obviously couldn't do it in good faith without actually seeing the work. He rolls very well on his deception check here. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And successfully deceives the cleaner, giving them their first success of the test. I really like Travis's voice work in this section where all the NPCs sound like recorded versions of someone talking. Oh, yeah. It's, it's very fun. Yeah. Rhodes identifies a potential fence and Fearbull goes to interact with them and directly asks them if they are a fence. To be <laughs> clear, not a fence for stolen goods. An actual fence. Like a picket fence. The direct line of questioning coupled with the confusion and Fearbull's inability to detect lies leads to an astounding failure. A great shame. A great shame. The oh. Fearbulg immediately reattempts with the next NPC, who is assumedly an undercover watch. But the Fearbulg's immense misunderstanding of the task at hand allows him to not be given away. He very clearly states he thinks this is just a game, which would obviously assuage any suspicion. Mm-hmm. However, this interaction with the undercover watch does gain the attention of the first NPC again, who reveals themselves to be the fence. But the Fearbow doesn't believe them. He says, I asked you if you were the fence, and you said no. Now you hear it's some game, and you want to play just because it's a game? <laughs> uh, and Fearbow just straight up doesn't believe him and tries to move on. Argo tries to clarify the meaning of fence to the Fearbow, who then understands it to be an entrepreneur or small business owner. Which was so funny, a callback to his accounting classes. He's actually clearly learning a lot in his accounting classes, and it makes me so sad that he thinks he's doing so badly. Me too, because, I mean, Justin has been taking this very seriously, and so has the Fear Bowl, clearly, because they're bringing in a lot of business talk, which I was yeah. very impressed with. This new approach succeeds, and the Fence is excited to begin to work with the Fear Bowl, who he says, this is a terrible idea. I am very new. I am a hard worker, but I am a dunce. <laughs> so Fearbulg. sad. Even though the Fearbulg again declines to work with the fence as he has no stolen goods, he has discovered them successfully and now two of the three missions are complete. Mm-hmm. Now it's up to Fitz. Yes. Fitzroy goes to work on trying to find the treasure map. He acts out with Rhodes as if he found all of this regalia within a secret cave. And after some light confusion on their role on Rhodes' part, they successfully gain the attention of the NPC who has the map. The NPC is angry and Fitzroy explains that he was out hunting elk with his buddies when he stumbled upon the cave and found the treasure. After bumping his head on a stalactite, the NPC exclaims that the cave only has stalagmites, but Fitzroy clarifies he was walking in on a handstand. <laughs> that was just Travis getting back at Griffin and Seriously. then Griffin being like, okay, no, no. The NPC is disappointed to learn that Fitz has already cleared out the treasure as he had purchased this map from a trader. Fitzroy expresses his condolences that it has now become a worthless piece of paper, then changes the subject by saying he is going to go poop. 
and that he has a fear that there will be no TP. So he offers to take the map in exchange for a beer. This is such a wild, wild discussion to have with somebody. As a player, I would never never, say that. Never have ever thought. Never. I stumbled upon the trove. It doesn't mean anything anymore. Can I have your map to wipe my ass? (laughs) The NPC ups the offer to 10 gold piece, which Fitzroy dismisses and instead offers to arm wrestle him for the map. The NPC agrees at the stake of all of Fitzroy's regalia. Which, that's a lot. It is. They have an insane conversation about hoping Fitz doesn't poop, to which he responds that as a half-elf, he can make it go back up in there. Which, I may have just missed that, but I've never seen that in any official source book. I have not seen that. Maybe it's an Unearthed Arcana I missed. I mean, listen, I've played a half-elf. That's not anywhere on my character sheet, but... Are you sure? Did you look in the traits page? People forget about the traits page. Oh, the traits page. Mm. The NPC wins the arm wrestling check and takes all of Fitzroy's brooches. All of his brooches. But gives him the map as a consolation prize. Fitzroy is upset, but states that once the NPC disappears, he will just take his regalia back. But the NPC says he will take those back to hell with him before Travis (laughs) dismisses that as a joke. But that is one of my favorite bits. uh, I'll take them back to hell with me. (laughs) (laughs) But this does mean that all three missions have been completed. Do you think Fitzroy wears fake glasses? Yes. Do you think his brooches are fake? I don't know, because he does very explicitly call out like how fancy they are and what jewels are in them. And then later in the episode, he does bring up his extremely wealthy family. That's true. But I mean, I've seen plenty of drag queen with real looking impressive jewelry. And true. it's not. Fitzroy's regalia fall to the ground for him to collect, as Travis is a kind and benevolent DM in his words. Dakota has the students self-evaluate and gives them advice on how to improve. This is where we get full confirmation that Fearbold cannot lie. The students get some notes on what they could have done differently and what to improve on, to which both Argo and Fitz dismiss the feedback and explain why they did what they did. Justin correctly points out that their inability to eat crow is probably a delight, and I got war flashbacks to feedback sessions at work. I, you know, I didn't think of it that way, but... Because he's yeah. right, like, he's giving them feedback, and they're like, well, no, this is, this, you're wrong. This is yeah. why we did what we did, like, both of them. Both of them did. It's true. It's kind of funny, though, because immediately the fear bull gets his feedback and you almost hear Justin argue it that he has that thought of like, I just gave them so much crow for being difficult about this. And then he immediately is like, this is fair. Yeah. it's. I mean, it's from when I was listening to it. It was very fair feedback. I think it was. But you definitely hear like a split second of the fear bull go about to argue it. Mm-hmm. And then you hear Justin be like, oh, no, I can't be a hypocrite. That's understandable. <laughs> Argo takes the blame for the poor performance and gives praise to the other two, to which Dakota is like, wow, you really are good at blame taking. Revo told me about how good you are at it. And I mean, for someone who has been virtually invisible to the teachers up until this point, it's really good that Argo is finally getting something of a reputation. Yeah. From here, we move on to lunch. Griffin says that since he was at detention, they made him eat gruel off the floor like a dog because this school sucks. And Travis was like, uh... That's not true. No. We learned that this isn't true, but jokingly, a lie Fitz is writing in a letter home to his extremely wealthy family. That's like when kids are at camp. That's how he equated it. Yeah. Argo, as soon as we've learned about his fear of bread, is facing it and trying bread. Within the same day. He learns not all bread is hardtack, which I guess if all you had ever eaten is hardtack, I also wouldn't be excited about eating bread. Yeah, no, I wouldn't have either. Have you ever actually eaten hardtack? Not to my knowledge. It's not good. I mean, it's not not good, but it's very basic. It's like bread you make. It's literally just like flour, water, yeast. 
That doesn't sound as good. It was made a long time ago because it's super durable. Like it lasts a long time, mm. which is obviously why sailors would have it on their ships. Right. It's super easy to make and it lasts forever. Huh. Yes. Yeah, so he learns that it's not all hardtack and... Instead, he tries pumpernickel here, which he realizes he really likes. But he has pumpernickel with... A side of lime. (laughs) Which (laughs) Griffin just goes off on how he's going to be blown away when he realizes he can eat real food. And that there's more than one citrus. It's not just limes. Yeah, no. One day he's going to have like an orange and it's going to blow his mind. Oh my god. The fear bulg eats a peach. He does. From here, they head to battle class with Jimson and learn they will be going through the dungeon with Rolandis. How do you, how are you feeling about Rolandis at this point? Mm, I'm better with him after this encounter. Okay. I do love that he calls them fancy lad and the fancy friends. <laughs> and Fitzroy responds, but Rolandis says he was addressing Argo as a fancy lad. Fitzroy gets super upset and so says that Argo's brooch game is whack. <laughs> and it just made me think of that one TikTok where he's like, his hair, whack. His gear, whack. That was a vine. That wasn't even a TikTok. The, yeah, you're right. That was yeah. a vine. And I just thought of like him going, his brooch game, whack. His cloak game, whack. The way he doesn't even know how to eat real food, whack. But me, I'm Fitzroy Maplecourt, and I'm the fanciest lad. <laughs> Rolandis says he has been through the dungeon so many times. It's just a skeleton crew in there, and not to embarrass it. He sounds super like super over it over already. It. But, you know, it probably happens a lot. Like, as an experienced hero, you probably have to walk so many sidekicks through this dungeon. That's true, but I don't know. Being a hero, I would think that they'd be more patient and, like, We have already established that it means nothing. That's true. Yeah, it is all performative. They enter the dungeon, and as the torches flicker on, the skeletons get sneak attacks on the group. I like this dungeon encounter. The first half is a little, like, typical. It's mm-hmm. nothing special. It's just, like, the skeletons, the attack. skeletons attack, and you attack, and you attack. So we kind of go through it. Argo uses his ball bearings as a distraction to go hide. Which I love a rogue who uses their ball bearings. Love it. Fitzroy casts Shocking Grasp on Jermaine. The Fearbulg shillelaghs and destroys Rattles. And then Rolandis Divine Smites and destroys Jermaine. Like, he rolled super high. Like, Rolandis is clearly... High level. Yeah. Fitzroy complains about how not educationally enriching this is, and honestly, it's pretty boring from his opinion. So Jimson moves forward to phase two of the dungeon and releases an angry brown bear named Susan. Named Susan. And we are once again comforted with the idea that she is magical, she will not feel any pain, and the additional note that she also won't remember this. So they're just casting, like, a memory-altering I think more so she's maybe not fake. She's clearly not fake. I don't know. It's it's an interesting question. It They didn't specify if she was like spectral, did they? No, I don't think she is spectral she's because She's a bear bear. Yeah, I think she's a bear bear. I don't know. This a place lot of questions. It's weird. Victoria remains from the skeleton group, so it's Susan and Victoria against the group. Susan attacks Fitzroy and Rolandis successfully. Victoria then attacks the Fearbulg and Argo sneak attacks the bear. Fitzroy goes into a rage of uncontrolled magic. For the first time. For the first time. Wind flows from him and it's an emotional moment. So he very quickly is like, please don't make any fart jokes. <laughs> and then he throws snippers at the bear. He throws snippers. He literally says, snippers, I choose you. <laughs> throws him. Snippers hits the bear in the face and hurts it pretty well, actually. Yeah. But it also makes him disappear from the damage he took. Yeah. We are comforted, though, that obviously, as he is a spectral familiar, he can come back pretty easily. Yeah, he can just resummon him. But that doesn't that doesn't take away from Snipper's sacrifice here. It does not. He was very R.I.P. Temporary Snippers. <laughs> the fear bulk hits Victoria and marrows her 
because obviously you can't bloody a skeleton. Sure. Rolandis, fully ignoring all game mechanics, lays on hands both Argo and Fitzroy, then dashes away. Yeah. And I was like, uh, I've played Paladins. That You can't do that. You can't. You can't lay on hands. Two people. But you can decide how much you give them. Yes. But it's an action. So technically, he took three actions. Well, if he's a super high... No, But no, because you get multiple attacks. You don't get multiple action. actions. That's true. Whatever. It's not that important. It's all just for the story. But as a DM, I was like, overruled. <laughs> I didn't even question it. Wow. But he dashes away from the bear. Susan and Victoria attempt to attack the boys, but miss all of their attacks. Argo then leaps atop the bear to get it to rear up. Travis has him roll animal handling, to which Clint rolls super well. Mm-hmm. Then you can kind of tell that Travis is like, mm, I didn't want that to work. Yeah. So he's like, actually, that was an acrobatics roll to get on the bear. Roll animal handling again. And then he rolls well again. So Travis kind of like concedes. Right, yeah. You, like, fine, I guess you succeeded this. You succeeded this. This is where we've officially learned that Snippers has poofed away due to the damage. But Griffin does let us know that he could be resummoned at any time and lets Travis know that there will be no tragic plot point around him losing snippers, which honestly just makes me so terrified for the eventual tragic plot point where the big bad figures out how to permanently kill snippers. No, please don't say, say it isn't so. I already was super they're gonna sad. Like, they're going to do something where they like take the kill snippers away? and then take his magic away. <gasps> and they're going to be like, now snippers is gone forever. Can I say there was a really funny moment where Griffin was like casting magic as all of this was happening. He's like, wow, Justin, I didn't realize how much you I want to say stupid stuff as I'm casting spells. And that's when Justin's kind of like, yeah, why do you think I got tired of playing taco after a while? Exactly. And Justin was even like there. The verbal component to the spells is saying something stupid, which I'm kind of here for. Yeah. Fitzroy picks up a rusted sword and slays Susan. She immediately gets up in a much happier mood and heads back to her cave, which has a big pool and a big jar of honey. And I agree with Griffin here where he's like, we get it. It's not animal abuse. But I mean, okay, so now she doesn't remember. She doesn't. She literally doesn't remember what happened. So she just has like gaps in her memory. Well, you could argue that, but you wouldn't know you have gaps in your memory. Have you ever seen 51st Dates? It's been a very long time. Yeah, she doesn't. She doesn't know she has gaps in her memory. She just lives a good day every day. Yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> the Fearbulg then finishes off Victoria. They argue over how many bones would shatter apart. Assuming Victoria is an adult human before becoming a skeleton, she would have two hundred and six bones. In case you were wondering, that is that is true. We don't know what they were before. But like D and D is so like it's a skeleton, so it's a human, which. They don't have to be. They could be literally No, in anything. the last uh in the last session I ran for you guys, there were ogre skeletons. And we had and we've gone up against some dwarf skeletons too. Mm-hmm. That's true. But I actually very clearly assume the skeleton crew are human skeletons. I did too. Based on the way they're played. Mm-hmm. The party succeeds their mission and levels up to level three. Yay! That's two levels from this one uh session, but that's super cool. I love them being at level three. Level three is when you start getting your cool stuff as a character. Exactly. That's when you get to pick your for druids it would be your circle. For rogues, it's your Your roguish archetype. Jimson lets the group know that they did well and will be gaining their first real world assignment next week. Hieronymus said makes his presence known as he has been watching them and congratulates them on their penchant for destruction. That is so creepy. So creepy. So creepy to me. The teacher just walks out of the shadows applauding, by the way. Travis made a point. Yeah. I, I'm creeped out. Yeah, I'm very creeped out. Fitzroy kind of just ignores Hieronymus and says that he feels dirty from the fight. 
So Argo shapes water from the waterfall to clean off Fitzroy. Yeah. I believe Argo wanted it to be like a drench him situation, but it doesn't get played off that way at all. And we kind of just move on. A drench him situation? Like, Like, I think he wanted the water from the waterfall to like soak him wet. Like flash dance? Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Hieronymus congratulates the students on how well he's heard they've been doing in school these last two weeks. Can I say, I know we're already suspicious of him because of his like, slow clap coming out of the shadows whole fiasco why is hieronymus telling the sidekicks and hench people that he's heard they've been doing well at school wouldn't that go to higgleman oh you're right i didn't even think about that why is hieronymus down there huh. i didn't even think about that he's not that talking, is super shady he's not talking to rolandis he's yeah. talking to our new he honestly doesn't even acknowledge rolandis he doesn't huh uh. well fitzroy takes this opportunity to ask him about his credit hours and hieronymus assures him he will be taking them into account do you think he's being sarcastic like Hegelmus was, or do you think... No, I actually think he's being honest, but I think in so much as he will look into it, but I don't know if he will do much to do something about it. That's there. Which Fitzroy is skeptical upon hearing it, but he's honestly just appreciative to have an answer that isn't, I won't do anything about it. And he's also more concerned with finding a way to dry off. Argo very smugly is like, I don't have any way to dry you off. <laughs> I just had a way to get you drenched. Hieronymus explains that his door is always open for them when he is in. Then Argo asks if it is also open when he's not in. This draws a suspicious glare from Hieronymus, but he moves on. But he moves on before the closing music plays. But wait, after credit scene. After credit scene, you have to do that with these boys. You have to wait. There's a couple times in Balance, maybe a couple times in Amnesty, where they had an after credit scene. So I always listen to the very end. The after credit scene starts as a shadowy figure moves through the night. And I thought it was a monster or something. I 100% And I didn't even remember that Argo has scaly skin. So when he's like, the blue scales, I was like, blue scales, what monster is this? And I was like, is this a dragon? dragon? (laughs) We were both dragon. But then, no, it's it's Argo moving through the night. And you're like, what is Argo doing? Just sneaking through the shadows. Which I also love the visual of like, it's such a bright night because of the full moon. So he's having to fight even harder to find shadows in the night. Mm Mm-hmm. He makes his way through the school to the only balcony, which we know is outside the sneakery classroom. Yep. And he meets up with Jackal. He does. Jackal asks Argo if he was able to obtain it, and Argo reveals a small leather-wrapped package and hands it to Jackal, before ensuring him no one saw him take it, assumedly something he took from Hieronymus's office. Is that what you think? I think that's why he was asking. Oh, about the door being open? Yeah. I didn't even think of that. Yeah, I think he took it from Hieronymus's office, and that's why he was asking about the door. What? What what does Jackal want from Hieronymus? I don't know. And we'll have to wait to find out because that is where the episode ends. It does. I was sad. It was a very good episode. Again, it was a very mini-gamey episode. Like, mm-hmm. again, it was just, hey, roll some stuff for this class and roll some stuff for this class. But it was more fun because there was actual stakes to all of it. Yeah, there was the the lessons learned in the test tavern and then level up yeah. after the dungeon. Again, I'm always excited for a level up. Yeah, I love level up. Uh, But yeah, it was a super fun episode, and I had a super fun time listening to it. Oh, yeah. But unfortunately, that's all we have to talk about this week. Make sure to join us next Thursday when we are once again talking Taz. I've been PJ. I've been Lauren. Join us next week.